because the world changes at such a fast pace right now. If you're not curious, you are going to feel and fall behind and um, maintain that curiosity and, and, and challenge yourself to, to keep being curious um, and learning more and putting yourself in situations that are unpredictable and uncertain. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by Jay Ventures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley in partnership with Loomi Tech and sponsored by Hippo Insurance, Turing, Upwest Labs, and Hillel at Stanford. Welcome to another great episode of 20 Minute Leaders. I'm honored to have today with me Dr. Anushka Pachava, an expert advisor to the United Nations and Silver Fleet Capital. Anushka is an experienced healthcare leader and customer-focused strategist with over 10 plus years of clinical and corporate experience. She completed her medical degree from University of Cambridge and has qualifications from Harvard, Oxford University, Imperial College London, and most recently is studying for her MBA at London Business School. Anushka serves as expert advisor to the United Nations and to Silver Fleet Capital. Dr. Anushka Pachava, thank you for joining me today all the way from London. How are you? Hey, Michael. Doing well. How are you doing? Uh, now that we're talking, I'm doing fantastic because I'm so excited to hear all about your journey, all about your insights into the, the, the intersection between innovation and, and medicine. I think that what we're seeing now, obviously with 2020, but you know, really this past decade or so, we've seen a surge of understanding that technology is not just for social media. It's not just for, you know, a better uh, speakers in our car, but it's really in our everyday things. And we're seeing lives transform uh, through the integration of these two fields. So uh, you're, you know, you've been in the medical in medical field for, for quite some time, but more importantly than that, you've been an advisor to the United, an expert advisor to the United Nation, Nations on Artificial Intelligence and Blockchain. You've done all sorts of really cool stuff uh, today with a C- CVS company. Uh, I'm going to stop talking here and I would love to hear from you. Who are you? How do you get into medicine and how do you then transition to the world of technology? What a great question. Um, who am I? Um, well, as he says, I'm a doctor by training. I actually started off doing biochemistry at uh, undergrad school, went down the kind of American pathway of doing an undergrad and then a postgrad, um, did my postgrad in medicine, trained at the University of Cambridge, so a very theoretical course. We had my best memories. We had bodies that we got to dissect on a weekly basis for the first two years. And that body became your Whoa. friend. Um, so I remember having Friday oh afternoons, <laughs> Friday afternoons in the dissection lab with me and my body, um, so to speak. And uh, and then no doubt after that, trained in, in surgery and then radiology, just from the interest of the human pathology and the side of you know what's in this body and what could go wrong with this body and and how we can fix it. Um, and yeah, so I trained out in uh, UK and the US, uh, very different health systems. One's a single payer government led system, um, the UK is, and the, um, the States is a multi-payer, complex, quite challenging environment. Um, and then I decided after doing all of that, that I wanted to go to the dark of the dark side and, and work in health insurance instead. Um, the reason wow. being there was there's no blood in health insurance. And I realized after seven years in medicine, I didn't actually like blood or sick people. I love that. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your 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 experience as a doctor. What would have been some of the most you know uh, exhilarating parts and and possibly the, the challenging things that myself who probably won't be a doctor in my lifetime, uh, but who knows? Uh, what, what what am I missing out on? 
Wow. What are you missing out on? So you're missing out on camaraderie. I don't think I've ever worked or lived in a place like a hospital, which has so much camaraderie behind it. That team spirit that everyone's in it together, no matter how long your hours were, up to 80 hours a week at times. Um, you're missing out on um, the exhilaration that you get from helping someone or saving a life. Um, you know, those small things that you do for someone that really has a positive impact on their life and you can see it straight up or you see it at a follow-up appointment. I remember working in A&E and trauma and actually feeling from the heart that you were truly saving someone's life. Um, you're missing out on a lot of intellectual stimulation that medicine gives you because you're constantly problem solving between um, different parts of the body, different human psychologies, different um, environments, um, trying to put the puzzle together, so to speak, to work out and, and diagnose. Um, I remember watching Dr. House when I was younger and thinking, that's why I want to do medicine. Um, but you're not missing out on the bureaucracy and the challenges that, you know, I've seen our, our workers right. in healthcare now face with COVID-19. And, you know, big thanks to all of them um, going through what they are on the front line. You're not missing out on right. the resource allocation decision making, which is very, very challenging, not only to us as, as physicians, but also in terms of moral compass. Right. Um, you're not missing out on the politics of any healthcare system, be it the US or the UK. It's the same politics of underfunded healthcare that we're now unfortunately realizing has significant right. consequences for human life. Um, you know, in 100%. I have to say that, uh, Dr. Anushka, because the reason I'm, I was asking this is because uh, there is something that's quite surprising about your history. I, I want you to take me back all the way to the age of 18. And you compete in the London Marathon. You complete the London Marathon. I believe you're the second youngest to complete it. At, at the time, I'm sure there's been younger since, but at the time I was the uh, second youngest. Uh, I think my brother's the third youngest. So he's uh, a, just under 11 months older than me. Um, so he did it when wow. he was 18. I went back a year later, broke his record, also broke my knee at the same time. Unbelievable. So then, so the reason I was asking about, you know, the, the doctor is because obviously then you, it's quite ironic uh, to go in and fracture your knee. And I have to say actually that I, I, I have a quite a similar experience. Uh, I believe I was 19 when I did a, the Eilat Marathon, which is in the desert of Israel. It's with the dunes. And I was very much underprepared. I did it in four hours and 40 minutes. And there was this, and there was a picture that I love of me finishing. I'm crying uh, <laughs> from pain, but from happiness because they were both together because I also have a, a very large injury with my knee that I'm facing until today. But at the end, it's about the finishing. We don't care about that injury in the, in the real time, right? Right. Agree, agree, Michael. I guess you you could see your tears when you finished because you were in a hot country. Um, it was raining in London, so I was crying and people thought it was just the rain falling down on my cheeks. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so you're in medicine for, for six, seven years, and then you, you, you also begin thinking about technology and innovation and how people consume, uh, you know, digital and physical healthcare. And you have some really interesting insights in that regard. So how do you become sort of like this go-to advisor and expert on these topics? So you're, you're um, right in terms of the, the blend right now we see between for digital. But before we get there, um, the reason I went into technology and technology and healthcare is because I was working in radiology and radiology is very autonomous as a field. We're looking at images day in, day out. And I remember being sat on night shifts and being told by my bosses at the time, you have to report every single x-ray in the bank, all of them overnight by the next morning. And, you know, you're sitting there in a dark room. It's the middle of the night. You're fatigued. It's probably your sixth or seventh night shift in a row. Your senior is somewhere in the department, but you don't know where. You're you know, you're clutching at straws, looking at scan after scan after scan. And, you know, we all experience this right now with screen fatigue where your eyes start to close or they start to burn and you see a bit blurry. 
that was the, the the life for me. And I remember thinking there must be a better way of doing this. There must be an image reader, you know, which is now c- coming into the, the fields of AI or artificial, artificial intelligence, right. or augmented intelligence in healthcare, whereby something scans it before I scan it and picks up the, what I could potentially miss in terms of human error. And that's when I started thinking right. about technology. Um, and working in, in a, a hospital, Central London Hospital in the NHS, where booking and scheduling was a hassle, cancelling appointments were a hassle, accessing consumers' records, you know, from a different um, hospital system to another hospital system was a hassle. Right. Accessing primary care records in in the secondary care system was a hassle. I began to think that there must be technological solutions out there that can fix this in terms of, you know, perpetuating data fluidity, but also increasing accuracy and, and allowing physicians like myself to function more at top of the license instead of the administrative or bureaucratic tasks. And that is what, right. what really spanned my interest in, in health technology. Um, you asked me how I ended up there. Um, well, I got really bored with studying for radiology exams. Um, I decided that black and white wasn't really for me anymore. And unfortunately, all the radiology scans are in black and white. Um, and I started teaching myself how to code. Um, and that is what wow. got me really interested in technology, um, the logic behind Python coding, um, and and I guess the satisfaction behind being able to automate even basic things like your tax return or counting your your weekly and monthly spends uh, really, really helped um, drive my interest in the field. So I, I really want to, you know, stop here on this point for just a little bit, because I think that it's a fascinating uh, journey of any person that, uh, you know, becomes an expert in one field. And, you know, you could write out that expertise forever, pretty much, right? I mean, you could be, continue to be a radiologist. It's, it's incredibly difficult to get to the position that, that you were at. Uh, and obviously you also did a, an MBA uh, in London and you studied in Cambridge. And so you still decide that you have this urgency to go and continue innovating and, and learning the, the cutting edge technologies in you in your free time you teach yourself python and machine learning what was that experience like did you have any resistance with that was it you know were there any big challenges along the way and and particularly for people who are considering teaching themselves or or you know or taking whatever field they studied and now putting it together with uh, with programming what would you say to that I'd say go go for it. Um, my one principle in life is be curious. Um, and if you are curious and you maintain curiosity, you'll never feel like you're falling behind. Um, but the barriers, as you speak of, Michael, are definitely still in existence. So I come from a very strong Indian family. Um, my parents were, you know, people who had a single career. They were physicians and surgeons their whole life. And for them to understand what a portfolio career was. And the fact that people do now have portfolio careers, you do three days in one job, two days in another, you might have your own startup, you might have what people call side hustles. Some people are influencers in their free time. Um, That was very new thinking when I went into it um, and almost um, considered rebellious thinking. Um, Now it's becoming more and more the norm. And I think for me, um, breaking down those barriers of what is culturally acceptable, um, understanding for myself that why did I believe that I had to work five days a week at a specific location if it wasn't bringing happiness to me? And right. digging deep into that in myself, what were my reasons and challenging my own, um, I guess, psyche and my own values really helped. Um, and then, like I say, going back to the point, curiosity. If you've got curiosity in you, use it, channel it, channel it build that energy. Um, and you, you then you realize you get to meet so many people, like I've met you and you get to meet like, you know, other people who are doing the same thing and it becomes more of the norm and more acceptable. 
Right. And, and there's something addictive in it as well. There's something addictive in, you know, discovering something new, starting to get good at it, saying, you know, getting thrown off track and saying, okay, well, like, wow, I, I was, I'm an expert in one field and now I know nothing in this other field. And it's so exciting because it's like back to first grade and you have those like really quick milestones where you get there. And I think that, you know, if we, it, 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 programming by itself is, you know, there's a big learning curve. Once you get on, once you get into the habit and you learn how to learn it, it becomes uh, really, really fantastic. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, this, this term that you've coined, uh, I think three and a half years ago about this balance between digital and physical healthcare. Really, um, came, it came to my mind three and a half years ago, but really, Michael, being honest, it's, it's become so normal, um, as a result of COVID and people will tell you, like, you know, you know, was it your CTO or your CIO or your CEO that, that resulted in the digital transformation that happened in your sector or your business? And everyone now says it was neither or none of the three. It was actually COVID. And the same is true for healthcare, whereby before um, consumers or patients, as they're known in healthcare, wanted that physical ecosystem. They wanted to go to the hospital. They felt they needed to be touched and examined and have that physical contact with a professional in order to be diagnosed. Now, more and more, we're seeing consumers resisting going to physical clinics. They don't want to be in a contaminated environment. They don't want to put themselves or their family members at risk, but yet they still need and seek healthcare. So how do we balance that? And it's that blend of for digital. What can we take out of the physical environment? Is it, you know, video consultations that have been around for quite a few years now and have seen a huge, I think, 300 to 500% uplift with most of the providers over COVID? Or is it more? Can we do diagnostics in, in the digital space? I know people who are building um, retinal cameras on your phone. So you could do eye appointments at home instead of go to the eye uh, clinic or the optician. I know people Amazing. who can diagnose your pulse, your perfusion, um, your oxygen saturation just from a selfie. Um, it's a company that was based in Israel. I'm sure you know of them, um, the Binner.ai guys. And, you know, it's amazing what technology can do. And, and now consumers have got used to the Zooms and being online and being on screens and embracing technology. We can accentuate the, the speed we were working at to get technology into healthcare. Right. No, I think that, I think that what you're saying is completely true. Are, are there some other, you know, things that, I as you know, as a spectator in in this field, I'm not even aware of where we are actually headed. So a lot of the things that we're talking here, you know, I truly expect to come to the market, you know, in in you know max five years, right? I mean, things have been advancing so quickly. The number of startups that I'm seeing in the investment space that are dealing with these things, it's exponential compared to what it was. You know, it's by a factor of like ten compared to what it was just a few years ago. Because I think we realize that now it's not just that consumers are willing to accept it, but the doctors are also in it and the hospitals are also in it. So you have this two-sided marketplace that is willing to cooperate. What other some large-scale things are we going to see, do you think, in healthcare that I might not even be thinking of in terms of, you know, other acceptance or adoption? You're right. It has to be a two-sided coin. So the health system needs to deploy, implement, and accept it before, before it gets to the consumer. Um, and I think it's both sides driving change at the moment, which is, which is fantastic. And that's why you're seeing the catalyst. The interesting spaces I've been looking at is healthcare at home. So how do you put the hospital in someone's house? Um, we've had virtual clinics for a long time. We've had virtual waiting rooms. So a company called Humor, you previously known as Medipad in the UK have built virtual COVID waiting rooms, whereby if you're diagnosed with COVID, you remain at home. You check into your virtual waiting room every day. Um, your work virtual wow. ward, so to speak. And the doctor visits you with other COVID patients in your virtual ward. 
You've got the use of Alexa. Alexa can be your friend. Think about all these people that are lonely. How do we use voice to make them feel like they have a companion? Right. Right. And how do we have the elderly? How do we how do we put technology in a home so that an elderly person living on their own can be looked after? Is it the Alexa that you know or the Google um, device that tells them this is time for your medication? Please take your medication. Or is it the mirror that checks their blood pressure and their perfusion when they look at it? Or is it the sofa TV um, and the sofa in front of the TV that has sensors so that if a member of that's sitting on the sofa falls off, it triggers an electric alarm? Or is it the TV itself that acts as, you know, not as um, just a TV, but as a, a consultation platform, which allows you to access healthcare, you know, dial into your physiotherapy? What is it? Um, and you're starting to see loads of technologies come into that space. What you aren't seeing is one provider integrated into right. healthcare at home. But you are starting to see little plays. So you're seeing the Amazons, you're seeing the Apples trying to break into healthcare. You're seeing Samsung with several devices that can potentiate healthcare at home. Um, you've always had, you know, TVs that access and work with the internet. Um, it's all a really, really fascinating space. Um, one of the recent things I, I heard of was, um, it was impressive. It's a smart fridge that tells you when you're running out of food and and, right. yeah. and not only when you're running out of food, but also here's the here's the food that you have in your fridge. Do you want a recipe to help you use what's in your fridge already? How convenient is that? A hundred percent. So now that we talk about all the things that we can be really excited about and that we, we hopefully will see in the coming years, what is the perhaps the single or two biggest challenges that the health that the healthcare system is facing today in adopting these technologies because a lot of them are almost ready right a lot of them are are either you have a lot of papers written on them or you have companies that are actually trying to create products out of those papers why what's still holding us back so it's great michael having loads of devices that take your data but unless that data all sits in one place and there's fluidity right. that then your physician can access your physician can't act or take in that data and derive insights so even your Apple Watches, we all walk around wearing them, but that, that device and that data is still really only looked at by me. How do I get that into my health records? How do I get that into my insurance premiums even? you know, um, That's not connected. So the interoperability of multivariate devices um, and the data from those devices flowing into the healthcare system is a huge, right. a huge, um, I guess, concern in terms of privacy, but also a huge... Um, challenge in terms of how do you break down those boundaries so all, all that we're absorbing from from the technologies we're using is useful to protect us in the long term. Um, so that's my first challenge. Um, my second challenge would be around the differentiation between consumer and patient because um, I'm not a patient till I'm sick in my head but does the health system still see me as a patient when I'm well? Um, and there's that blurring of lines between oh. being proactive and reactive. And at the moment, the health systems around the world are very reactive to sickness. Very reactive, right. So how do they be more proactive? How do we shift towards prevention? And how do we shift the psychology of not only physicians and healthcare practitioners, but also consumers or patients towards you are responsible for my health when I'm well, as much as you are when I'm sick. And I think that's a huge challenge. Right. I, I think that you're completely right. I think that one of the things that I've been observing is that explainability is becoming easier. And, you and you know, we have here a two-sided market, not just, you know, with the, with the you know, companies that are providing this in the stars, but you also have two-sided market between the people that are innovating and then the people that are authorizing this innovation. And I'm thinking all the way, you know, to, to a day where potentially I'll be the first person in line to get a chip to be installed in my palm that will 
constantly monitor my blood tests. I'd love that. That would be awesome. But I imagine that while I'm the first person in line, there's going to be about a hundred people before me that are going to be resistant to that for, for sometimes very good reasons, sometimes reasons that maybe they don't understand fully. And I'm extremely curious to see how we're going to find this interesting integration between the innovators and the regulators. And I think people in your field that have a good understanding of both, not just people that like technology, but you're learning Python, you're learning machine learning, you're, you're active with investments and with, with the startups. I think that's exactly what we need. So I'm extremely hopeful at this point after this conversation for, for where we're headed. Thank you very much, Dr. Anushka. And before we leave, I have to ask you for the most important question, which is three words that you would use to describe yourself. Oh, wow. Um, so just to go on your final point, Michael, I agree. I'm, I'm very excited to see how innovators, physicians, consumers and the regulators can work better and more effectively together. And I think big tech companies have a role to play in terms of data privacy, infosec, and ensuring that consumers feel safe allowing um, what we've talked about to actually occur in, in, in the world. Right. Um, three words to describe myself. I was trying to buy myself some time there. Um, I'm going to go with ABC. So A, I say one of my close principles to my heart is being authentic. So authenticity counts above everything else. Um, B, I'd say is be bold. Um, so bold in, yes. in what you do, but bold in challenging your own, your own values, your own philosophies, because we've all grown up in different environments. I grew up in Saudi Arabia, for example. My values were based on my ecosystem at the time, but since then I've lived in several different geographies. So be bold to, to challenge why you think and feel um, and see things right. the way you do um, and your perspective. Um, and see, I think I've touched on earlier in our talk, curiosity, because the world changes yes. at such a fast pace right now. If you're not curious, you are going to feel and fall behind and um, maintain that curiosity and, and, and challenge yourself to, to keep being curious um, and learning more and putting yourself in situations that are unpredictable and uncertain, um, like the pandemic, because that. that will serve you well. I love that. Dr. Anushka, thank you so, so much. This was really wonderful. And uh, stay safe and stay healthy. Pleasure to meet you, Michael, and take care. Thank you. 